Noble and manly music invigorates the spirit, strengthens the wavering man, and incites him to great and worthy deeds. Homer, with special thanks to Dan Morick. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rogues in the House, the podcast. Uh, we are here today with a very, very special guest, but before we get to that, uh, let me introduce the usual co-hosts that we have here. Matt, how's it going? It's going very well uh, from the bowels of Spryfield in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Awesome. And you are trying the new computer or the old computer today? Now, I'm using the old crappy one, so we're probably going to hear those blips, but uh, I've made a concerted effort to do some professional development, Logan, and uh, <laughs> and fix this up. Very good. And in the background you hear chuckling is Logan, who is dehydrated, tired, cranky, uh, and wearing a handsome tank top. Yeah, I mean, It's frankly, got a shark on it. <laughs> so nobody nobody can see nobody that. can see that i know we have to we have to hear it and he knew it was a shark by the sound that i made yeah and he, uh, but he's, he's very greasy i assure you that he looks i am greasy. i am quite greasy yeah. uh, at some my point first we, day or my first week back at school and uh and it shows um the high desert of new mexico uh we don't run on air conditioning around swamp coolers and it's gross i have so many questions about that I'm, I'm not going to ask them, but I've got a lot. Most I feel like swamp coolers. coolers are probably the most sword and sorcery kind of um, like ventilation. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about that another yeah, day. On the, right on the ventilation right. podcast. <laughs> oh, Christ. Uh, the, the dry erase podcast did not work out for us. Um, no. So we, no. will, we will be starting the ventilation podcast next. That's right. So, uh, Matt, we do have a guest today. Would you care to do the honors? We do have a guest. Uh, we do have a guest. His name is Michael R. Fletcher. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey. Classic. Now, Michael R. Fletcher, I've taken this from his Goodreads because everyone loves Goodreads. It's an important Completely thing. Completely accurate. Yeah, everyone loves Goodreads. Um, I believe he wrote this or he got his doppel to write it for him. He is a science fiction and fantasy author, a grilled cheese aficionado, and a whiskey-swilling retrobate. He spends his days choreographing his forklift musical title, titled Get Forked, and using caffeine as a substitute for sanity. Any suggestions that he is actually Dirk Ashton in disguise are all lies. Did you mean to rhyme that part at the end? Disguise uh, lies. No, that no, purely accidental. I can't help it. Uh, did, you know, I got the music, yeah. Okay, you got the music in you. Uh, did Dirk Ashton write that for you? Uh, I think it was actually Ben Galley that wrote that one for me. Oh. I, I don't do any of my own writing because that entails effort. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually do my own interviews. You'll notice like, you can't actually see me because I don't have a camera turned on because yeah. it's not me. I, <laughs> and that would be difficult and take time and I have other shit to do that's clearly far more important. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair and uh having read uh your novel beyond redemption i know what you're up to and i know what this thing is that we're talking to but we'll leave that up to the uh listeners whom will probably know what's going on there who will probably know what was going on there apologies uh michael r fletcher's writing credits include beyond redemption there's truth swarm and steel and those are part of the let me get this right 
Manifest Delusion series. That's correct. Oh, man. That's a whole... That's crazier than a bag of cats. Um, and he's also written Ghosts of Tomorrow. And he's recently released a collection of shorts uh, that I believe are from sort of your... Uh, they kind of show your uh, trajectory as a writer or, or sort of from beginning to uh, where you are now. Is that correct? Yeah, I... Uh, you know, I've been sort of meaning to put together like a collection of short stories for a while. <clears throat> you know, I've had a bunch published in various magazines and stuff and wanted to put them all together. And then once I started looking, I, I actually found some stuff dating back to e, the mid-90s. Wow. Um, which um, I probably really shouldn't have included. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I kind of um, on one level don't care. Uh, and <laughs> just, you know, sort of wanted, wanted people to sort of be able to see, you know, like how you the, see the progression, because I mean, yeah. when you first start writing, you're like, Oh, I've got this short story and you write it and you love it. And it's amazing. Then you don't send it to anyone because that's difficult. Mm -hmm. and you do nothing with it. <laughs> and then, you know, like 20 years later, you're sort of accidentally a writer, you know, with published novels. And it's like that, that that overnight thing took 20 years right yeah and i i uh i found that interesting i think there's some uh there's some cojones uh involved with going back and adding that sort of um the material you're not as pleased with now or stuff that might make you wince when you read it back because i do that now and well stupidly enough my idea is to release a series of shorts before ever attempting a novel <laughs> as if anyone's going to care uh, but it's just like, it feels like something I need to do, but I'm already sort of going through and looking at ones from a few years ago and being like, no, that's not going in there. <laughs> but I think it's cool though. I mean, it's nice to see, you know, when, when you're published and, and you have, uh, you know, a career arc, um, for people who are interested in, in, in your works, it's kind of cool to see the development and to understand you know, hey, this is part of my my earlier works, earlier periods. I don't know if you're if you're kind of adding that um, that flavor in this, um, but it, it's just interesting to know that you know at one point you had a starting point too. Yeah, I mean that was exactly it. Was um, it just sort of you know let people see sort of the ugly that led to just later more ugly. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's that's where you're that's where you're full of it. You see, because I I read I read Beyond Redemption and it's an it's an awesome book. It has stuck with me uh, more than many other books uh, that may be more famous or well-known, but that one sort of struck a nerve. And see, you're coming from a point where you have sort of proven that, uh, hey, I can do this and I can write a good book, uh, whereas a jabroni like myself is going <laughs> to release a series of shorts that'll be like, oh, well, I don't care about his journey because who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, short stories are difficult. I, honestly, I don't like them. They're, they're way too hard to write. They're so difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I sort of agree with you, but I think it's because I've cut my teeth on it that I now uh, am terrified of a novel. I'm like, what? I have all this room to breathe? I don't know how to breathe. Yeah, I, honestly, if, if you can write a short story, novels are kind of easier. Yeah, I've heard that. What do you think of that, Logan? Um, I mean... The idea of the length of a novel has changed over time. Um, yeah. My novel is probably what most would consider a novella now, 
although it is four pages longer than the Tarzan novel that I own, which is about 176 pages on a, on a five by eight book. Um, it, it's about 36,000 words, which is extremely short for a novel. I talked about this with Scott Oden a little bit in our own um, private lives. Um, so it's comparable to a short story in many ways because it's not extensive. It's not the 120,000 words or whatever that a lot of people shoot for. But overall, I think I would agree. Um, I think short stories are more difficult, but I think practicing on short stories probably makes you prepared for some things. I don't necessarily want to say better, but I think it's good practice um, yeah. in your storytelling and your pacing and stuff like that. The thing that it I feel good about is that I feel like I've made a lot of errors in learning to write those and learning an error like, oh, point of view works this way on a short story is less of a <laughs> massive pain in the ass than it would be on a novel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so my that, that's exactly it. My first... Uh, the first book I wrote before I'd written any short stories uh, was 88, which later became Ghosts of Tomorrow. Um, right. So I wrote it and it was the best thing ever written by anyone ever on the planet anywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, a work of towering genius. Uh, and then I started sending it out and no one liked it because they were like, you clearly don't understand point of view. You don't understand tense. Like you're just, yeah. you're on crack. Um, Sometimes, I mean... Sometimes, but hold on. Hold on. <laughs> so I ended up having to, when I actually eventually kind of weirdly found a uh, publisher, they had me rewrite the entire thing. Um, so yeah, that would have been way easier uh, with a like, you know, six thousand word short story than a you know, hundred thousand yeah. word novel, um, because like I, I changed the tense, rewrote the whole thing from. Um, present tense to uh past uh you, you started in, you started in present i i wrote it in first person present tense yeah okay and they were uh, like what the fuck it was all like <laughs> i had to rewrite the entire novel in third person past tense illuminate me why does it matter okay so it's um there was a time when first person present tense would have been entirely acceptable in mm. fact, kind of normal. Um, but what people are kind of accustomed to now is third person past tense. It's not that all novels are that, but that's that's what people are used to reading. And so it, when you're trying to sell a novel, especially from someone who's you know completely unpublished, uh, it, it's kind of it's safer to yeah. go with something normal. Right? Got, got it. So it's yeah. a stylistic preference at yeah. this at this point. Yeah. And uh, it worked. Like the novel was unbelievably better afterwards. Mm. Um, in fact, initially when I wrote it, uh, the editor, what did she call it? Uh, she called it sloppy thirds or something. <laughs> um, and I actually had to rewrite it again because then she explained to me, she's like, no, no, tight third. And what she wanted was this like suffocating third person sort of right. thing. Yeah, Whereas yeah, like it's... it's third you are in their heads yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and that was amazing the only thing that to me uh the only place where it fell apart is um in the first person present tense 
there were some fight scenes which even to this day i think are really good like i really like the way they worked um but and when they lost something when you went with third and passed if that person past tense they just they didn't have an immediacy to them that they had in the first draft Hmm. but the rest of the book so much better so it's sort of a balance a sacrifice you're like you know the, the whole thing worked better right uh but the fight scenes i mean my initial idea is after i rewrote those fight scenes in a third person past tense i was like yeah this this kind of sucks like how about what if we just do all the action scenes in like <laughs> we change shift and, yeah. and pov just for the action action scenes and she was like, yeah, yeah, that would totally work if you were, like, an amazing writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. really interesting. Um, the woman who edit, edits all of my stuff, um, she has a novel, and she came to the conclusion herself. It was originally written in first person, um, first person present, but she changed it just the way you did. And overall, she said the same thing, um, that while there's some things she liked from first person, uh, overall, she felt the quality on the flow and everything drastically increased. Um, I'm a big fan of the book King Solomon's Minds, um, H. Ryder Haggard. It's written in first person. And one of its biggest complaints is that um, there's no sense of danger because you know that uh, he survives. He's telling the story. So, um, yeah, it starts out. He's, like, retelling his tales in first person. Like, he's sitting in a bar in like Africa or something. And it's just a recounting of this adventure that he had, but there's no sense of danger urgency because we already know he lived. Hmm. Granted it's presented that he's an old man at the beginning. So that probably adds to that. Um, but I kind of feel the same way um, when I read some first person, um, especially like the action scenes, I guess I feel like the people are, you know, already alive because it's present. It, Does that make sense? That it reminded me. Um, I'm going to segue real quick. Uh, yeah. Iron, there's an Iron Maiden song, "Hallowed Be Thy oh. Name," which is in oh. a first that, person point of view, right? And is it's that essentially the band zombie on the covers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that didn't come through. Like, oh, we got a guitar. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Um, so, but anyway, so like I mean, it's essentially his, it's, a, it's <laughs> essentially the, the point of view characters, uh, death march to the gallows. Yeah. Uh, and he's sort of like self-reflecting on life, uh, death, you know, life after death. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those cases to your point where, um, it, it you know, if you're reading a, a, a story, you may feel that the character is safe, but I'm sure you could probably weave into it, uh, where they aren't at the end. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt that it can work. Um, that's just a really specific example um, from my end. And I just want to say this last piece and then we'll move on because uh, we've, we've been on this one for too long. But uh, this is a, a testament to me starting with short fiction because I have just finished writing a story that is in first person, uh, present tense. And the reason I did it was because I liked my fight scenes and they, <laughs> they, they worked really well. And guess what? I'm going to keep it that way and I'm not going to change it because I don't have to because I don't have a publisher. <laughs> I, I like how this was a testament to you is what you said. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, they call me Sullivan for a reason. <laughs> no argument there. <laughs> so 
Mr. Fletcher, you've got a book series, and your, your most of your work was done in is in fantasy or grimdark. We would probably call it yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I just called dark fantasy. I'd, I'd never heard of grimdark when I yeah. wrote it, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a tad on the dark side, I suppose. It's grim and dark. <laughs> it's grim it and dark. It is. I use that term to troll Logan because he's he doesn't like that term very much. Neither Which, does Mr. Jason Waltz. Did you see our conversation on Facebook? No, I didn't. We had a long conversation because um, I guess Steve Erickson of the Malazan novels. Yeah. Um, he's very, very, very adamant that he does not write grimdark. He yeah. hates that term, um, which I found really interesting. Grimdark. I didn't know that. Um, so but anyway. There's a lot of connotations that come with it, right? Where it, it almost is a can be a bit of a pejorative in that it's saying suggesting that your whole deal is just to write so that you are shocking. And I don't most most writers I've read, that's not what they're doing. It's just more so literary fantasy with a dark. No one sure. cares about dark. No one's trying to. Well, okay, not no one. Most of the writers that I'm aware of aren't writing for shock value. Like Beyond Redemption, yeah. I never it never occurred to me to try and shock people. I mean, like. There's nothing in there that I find personally terribly shocking. It, it's just you start with these characters. Here's the story you're going to tell because of the world, the way it is, you know, in that series, like, yeah, it's going to turn out kind of dark. But yeah, like, it's the yeah. story you're telling, right? I mean, yeah, you're not like the idea of like, oh, somebody's going to be like, oh, my gosh, no. It's like, no, like, I don't care. I get no value out of shock. Right. Like, that's, it's not selling books. You're not like Jerry Springering in in things, uh, just to make the you know just to make the audience gasp. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, so I guess what I wanted to ask was what uh, because you're into fantasy or dark fantasy. Um, how did you get? How did you get into it? Like for for us, we've all talk, talked about what's gotten us into this genre as young men. And I don't necessarily mean as a writer. I just mean fan. What were the sort of formative pieces? that uh, got you into this this subculture or this you know genre yeah, the uh, i i mean probably the same gateway drugs that it is for all of us like lord of the rings lion the witch and the wardrobe we're sort of like that that like that first step in but yeah. for me the one that hooked me the one where i was like fantasy dark fantasy i am all in uh it was the stormbringer books michael moorcock stuff mm. Oh, right on. Yeah. Like that is basically that is fantasy for me. Yeah. After that, it was like, I mean, basically, I spent you know my my career as a writer trying to trying to do something as cool as that. Mm. And, but it's Elric, the anti-hero. That was something I'd never seen before. Interesting. So it's. I am seeing this a lot lately, and I mean, it's nothing new, but I am seeing a lot of people cite Moorcock and Elric as their number one. And, and on our show, even, uh, we've had a couple of yeah. guests do that same thing. Yep, that's right. Um, and it's, you know, I think all of us came to it a little later. Am I correct in that? Yeah. Conan? Yes. Yep. Like post, post Conan and other... I think uh, we were all Conan first. Yeah. yeah, what I think kind of goes into that is that um, Moorcock's world 
uh, is a rec- more recognizable as a fantasy world, where mm. I kind of agree with Scott Odin in that Conan is basically historical, thick, like historical fantasy. Right. It's presented first as a granted fictional history, whereas Michael Moorcock and Elric are very clearly fantasy. Yeah. Um, I, I th- I, yeah, I think you're right. Okay. Uh, when did you? So when did you decide? Well, actually, no. Before I even ask that question, I want to ask: uh, Did you? Were you a D and D player? Did you do that whole thing? Oh yeah, massive. <laughs> um, so in grade nine, uh, I basically had one friend because um, I I just moved, so I I didn't know anybody. I'd met one person, and he was like, "Let's go check out the D and D club in the high school." Uh, I, I didn't know what that was. And so we went and we started playing a bit. And I was like, oh, all right, this is cool. Like, I, I got it right away. Yeah. Uh, and he was actually uh, on the basketball team, you know, tall, good looking dude. And he's like, let's go, let's go try out for the basketball team. Let's go do basketball now. And I was like, nah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so literally, I, like, that was that one day, that one choice. I never really saw him again. Wow. And I was in the D&D club. Um, wow, that's funny. The lines were drawn, man. That's the really social funny. lines were drawn yeah. immediately. I just, I didn't, I mean, I didn't care about basketball. Yeah. But like this, this sort of like interactive storytelling, oh, I, mean, yeah. I was hooked. Yeah. Uh, and then through like that club, I kind of met the people who became like huge in my life. I like mm. still friends with these same guys, you know, years later. Do you yeah, do you regret giving up on your NBA dream though? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I like I, you know, in a good pair of shoes, I might manage five nine. That's admirable. That's good. <laughs> uh, you made yeah. the right choice, I think. Yeah, yeah. and so like we uh, we we wrote our own gaming system because we were like, you know what? I'm tired of the limitations of Dungeons. Yeah. D&D. As every good gamer needs to, every, every oh, gamer yeah. at some point is like, I can do better. Oh, well, yeah. back in the day, there were there were fewer options, right? That's so true too. Yeah. You, now it's just it's a it's a huge market. Pick one. Market. Yeah. yeah, that's actually that's similar experience to uh, to me um, and my friends. I still game with the same with the same fellas. And actually, today I was at the comic store uh, picking something up, and a young a young kid comes in. I'm guessing he's probably in grade seven, grade eight or something. He comes in, he's all quiet and meek, skinny kid, of course. He's like, do you have dice for Dungeons and Dragons? And so I'm chatting with the the owner, as I always do. It's sort of like the hardware store for people who aren't cool and go chat at the hardware store or the golf place or whatever. Anyways, and so I was just like, oh, my God, young man, you have to buy the one you want. And the guy's behind the desk is telling him, you know, with the pricing and which ones he can get for cheaper. And the kid has 20 in his hand. So I'm like, oh my God, dude, this is your first set of dice. You have to buy the ones you want. And he was like, yeah, I want those. I want those clear, those clear see-through dice. It's like brilliant choice. That's <laughs> like, awesome. did you buy them for him? I hope that you were like, no, no, but I let swear, me know, I, kid. Oh. No, no, no. I had it. If he was going to, if he was going to buy something that he needed more money for, I was going, I would have, I would have done it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would have stepped in because like, it was an important moment. I was like, dude, I was happy. I was here to, to witness that. Yeah, no, that's pretty awesome. It's awesome. Special to moment. See, uh, if the I younger could, generation getting into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If I could get some, I, I need to, like, I'm athletic director, even though I'm not athletic, even a little bit. 
Um, but I would like to do a D&D club at some point because there are some kids in my school that are interested in role-playing and stuff, and um, I just well, don't have the time to set it up right now. That's the hard part, but it's blowing up. It's huge now. It is yeah. bigger, than it's, it's ever than it, bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. yeah. It's main, It's quite mainstream. I mean, there are actors, actresses that leverage yeah. it now as oh, yeah. another There's means that, of I income. I can't remember his name. He's like married to the lady. Yeah, from it's uh, Joe, uh, and then it's an yeah, Italian Demog- last name. Oh, yeah. Demoglio or Demoglio, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's he oh, yeah, 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 just yeah, the yeah. biggest, buffest dude ever, and he loves D&D. Yeah. And it, and I enjoy D&D. this. I enjoy this uh, success that it's that that uh, that's happening right now. It is a little souring sometimes because I feel like there are a lot of people who are just jumping on it because yeah. they can uh, now and it's they can leverage it to you know hey this is I like this don't too. be a gatekeeper yeah. you old man. I am kind of gatekeeping it. you know we had to hide it just people yeah. Yeah. Talking yeah. About, you know there was always that person who like in the middle of like a crowded bus would be like hey that you know that D&D campaign when I killed the wizard and you're like shut up if you're in the 70s you had the satanic panic coming yeah, at you too. Yeah, and that's right? how I yes. became a Satanist. <laughs> but I mean, I, the truth is, it's actually it's it seems to be so good for so many kids in terms of giving them uh, an yeah, outlet, an outlet, learning social skills. Yeah. Um, so I mean, problem solving, as, expression, creativity. That's right, that's right. So the crotchety old man that wants to come out and be like, "You kids have no idea. You're right. watching these Avengers movies. I used to get beat up for those." Yeah, right. Comic books. But, uh, let's move on with this here. Uh, I want to ask you just a quick second, uh, Fletcher, about your experience with traditional publishing versus self-publishing, because you've sort of had a bit of a uh, an ebb and flow with that. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess I kind of—it's t- either two or three books with the uh, traditional publishing, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. But. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, so beyond redemption that landed like a like a let's call them a for real z publisher mm-hmm. uh, uh harper collins or harper voyager who did the yeah. fantasy stuff um and that was like insane uh i i literally wrote that book thinking you know three or four of my friends would read it and so i, I wrote it for them you know it never occurred to me it would actually sell um and then you know when they bought it nice advance i'm like holy crap i am a writer Mm. i'm going to be super famous i'm going to be wealthy (laughs) and so i was like all in i I wrote like the next book Uh, i wrote the mirror's truth and then i was like you know what i want to write something like in the same world but a little different so i wrote swarm and steel and then you know i get in touch with the publisher afterwards and they're like you know what it's not really selling that well. We're not super interested in more of this. <laughs> I was like, oh. ah, but I've already written these books. Um, <laughs> yeah. So at that point, it was like, well, you know, I had a choice. I could either, you know, s- stick them in the in the trunk or or just self-publish them. Um, and it, it, honestly, I'd never really sort of thought about self-publishing before. I'd never given any thought and take it seriously. Um kind of did it on a lark because i'd already written the books and i was like i just i want to get them out there and yeah i like doing it you know um mm-hmm. and then it turned out like artists and editors all this stuff costs money like holy crap yeah um 
but it actually kind of really worked and I'm not super sure why, because I'm really crap at self publishing. Um, I'm, I'm not good at promoting. I'm not outgoing. Mm. I don't go to cons. I don't really talk to people. <laughs> well, um, thanks for oh, making the exception. So <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys aren't really people. You know? That's true too. <laughs> uh, and, but, you know, like, I, I guess I kind of, I got really, really lucky and I have this sort of like small, so small, tiny, tiny little like crazy fan base. Um, and so I've been able to kind of like make a go of it, uh, self-publishing stuff, uh, publishing stuff as well. Mm. And it's, so the difference is a big publisher, they pay for the artists, they pay for the editing, uh, and everything takes like forever like you know the day that they go like we're going to publish your book you're like yay and then two years later you're like ah can this is this coming out soon (laughs) (laughs) they're waiting yeah Yeah. uh but when you're self-publishing i mean like you know from the day where i'm like okay this book is done um if i wanted i could have it like out a couple of months later probably faster yeah um you know i'm trying to uh, I'm trying to be patient, which I'm so bad at. So I'm like, okay, November. This book's written. It's been edited. The artist's working on stuff. November. And that gives me lots of time to just completely mess things up in between now and then. <laughs> um, I, I had a quick question, too, because we were talking a little bit about it before, um, just in your start. How has your creative process grown uh, from when you started and and now like present day uh and like what do you what do you do to get yourself set i I, when we had um scott odin on he was talking about how he he puts on music and it's very like thematic for him uh for what he wants to write do you do the same thing totally scott's lying (laughs) (laughs) yeah so scott doesn't actually write books i I actually wrote all of scott's books oh all right in fact uh, you, do, you do a good Robert E. Howard facsimile. Yeah, <laughs> some might I've say the best Robert E. Howard facsimile. Yeah. But but I mean, you you clearly you play the guitar since you were jamming in the background over there. <laughs> so that must be part of what you do too, right? You gotta like yeah, noodle um, around and get your brain going. Yeah, there's there's like um, I can kind of I can work in almost any environment. So there's like my my uh, my pristine environment. There's where I want to work. Sure. Uh, which is like my my writing office. It's it's also sort of like slash recording studio, right? So I've got really sweet subwoofer, really sweet sound system set up. Um, where I want to write, I want to write in here. I want the most skull crushing death metal just cranking away. Um, and it's got to be incomprehensible rage. If I can understand the lyric, but if it's like, and I'm like, I'm good. That's, that, is why, that is why I asked you to be on this show because I, I had read that you do that, that you've listened to just skull crushing death death metal and then compose that those books and that blew my mind so hard because i could i could never do that that's great no, i have who, silence as much silence as possible person, yeah. who is this person who can do that no see i can't silence i ah, see you, you just you keep changing what you got to do so like it sometimes life you know gets in the way right so sometimes mm-hmm. i got to write downstairs and be like you know dad at the same time and, yeah. you know, dad can't have crushing death metal, like, 
drowning out everything. Um, so like I will write at the kitchen table, uh, listening to of whatever, you know, weird, like YouTube video, my eight year olds. Right. To. So yeah. that being a dad is one of the hardest blows to your, uh, metal listening. I found <laughs> sort of that, that got shelved for the first few years of life. And now, now yeah. she's nine and I'm like, well, let's start you on some Led Zeppelin and we'll work you on in, you know, interestingly, uh, I, I, uh, my young guy, uh, he's three and I, we were driving in the car and breaking the law by Judas priest came on and I was super pumped cause you know, that came on the radio, which doesn't often happen. Uh, and I cranked it up cause he's always like, he loves the metal for whatever, you know, whatever reason he's, he's, well, I know why, cause it's awesome. That's why, but <laughs> he's getting into it. And so we're listening to it one day and he's like, Oh my God, I love this. And then two days later, he's like, Matt, play that breaking the rules song. So, in his in his three year old mind, breaking yep. the law was breaking the rules. Breaking three year old, he understands, right? So he's like breaking the rules. Anyways, we put it on the other the other day, and now I just hear him singing it under his breath every once in a while. Breaking the law, breaking the law. <laughs> that's cute. It's, yeah, it's he's awesome. gonna be ready for his first broadsword soon, I think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, um, this is the sword. Yeah, okay. I'll give him. This Not speech. until he breaks the neck of a wild Sumerian bull <laughs> before he before he reach fifteen winters. Yeah. Uh, okay. Storming so... the walls of Venarium. <laughs> So Fletcher, I just want you to um, maybe just uh, if you can just give us your pitch, right? Because our listeners are predominantly sword and sorcery uh, listeners, but I really, from having read Beyond Redemption and uh, one of your short stories, I truly feel like sword and sorcery fans would like your work. And if they haven't picked it up, uh, maybe give us a, a pitch as to what you are offering there. And then maybe tell us what's coming up next before we segue into our crushing metal portion of the show. <laughs> ah. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, I'm awful at pitches, but, um, all right. All fantasy swords and sorcery is just the honest fantasy, right? That, that's when you, you're just saying like, here's what it is. This is what I'm offering. Mm. You know, it's, it's a messed up magic system, mm. magic sorcery and swords. A lot of people getting killed. Uh, the manifest delusion stuff, I don't call it sorcery. It's a magic system based on insanity, where literally everything's researched. Um, you're sort of your kleptomaniacs, your pyromaniacs. Madness sort of manifests as reality. Um, so that for me, that's my sorcery, you know, in those books. Um, I just, you know, I've read a ton of the, the Conan stuff uh, and... Does does Morcock does Elric is that sword and sorcery? It is. I, I think so. We, we, yeah. we would argue it is. Yes, I would say so too. But it, I, I'm not sure that it's sort of like a you know canon there. Yeah, I, I think, think it's one of the main three or four. Yeah, yeah. With Conan, yeah. Falford, and the Gray Mouser, and Kane. but we, we've also the, the three of us have gone back and forth on this too. As much as it is sword and sorcery, it, yeah. you can easily make an argument as to why it's not. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, you sort of got, he's genuinely, I mean, he's, you know, violent and murderous, but, you know, he's not evil. No. no. Whereas Elric is uh, strung out on drugs. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, sacrificing souls, like blood and souls for my Lord Chardross. But, mm. uh, Ariok, sorry. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm waffling yeah. on and I, you know, I've actually uh, 
completely forgotten what I was talking about, which is a uh, you were talking about manifest uh, delusion and your uh, your fiction, but I mean, yeah, uh, I, I don't like pitching. Stuff. Yeah, you were avoiding pitching your stuff. I'll pitch it. I'll just, I mean, it's really, it's, it's. A re- I really like the magic system. Uh, I love the character work. One thing I'll never forget that I kind of pisses me off because I wish I'd come up with it is your opening chapter had your he's not your protagonist but he's one of your pov characters and he's struggling with a head cold (laughs) rolling into this town and it's a filthy place and the head cold is plaguing him and it's like that spoke to me because i don't know you just really got inside the guy's head who was dealing with that and you don't what other book have you read where a your your strong warrior character is dealing with that crap and then drowns it in whiskey that's awesome that's great (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I do I do recommend it. And uh, the other thing I asked was perhaps just tell us what you have coming up so people can, you know, pit, pitch that, I yeah. guess. Just... Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, the next book out uh, coming out in November is uh, Smoke and Stone. It's uh, sort of this like weird Aztec uh, sorcery. Sort of... Yeah, you yeah. got Logan right there. Logan. My... Yep. Logan His eyeballs yeah. just like popped open real wide. Yeah, all of my all of my st- like I anthropology and archaeology was my undergrad, and I focused on the history of the Southwest, prehistory of the Southwest. Um, so yeah, you sold me there. You're done. So you you know uh, Carlos Castaneda. Uh, yeah. Uh, alternate realities. So the magic system is like hugely influenced by his works, um, and uh, it's basically the last city on the planet. It's a dead world after the gods have sort of uh, warred um, and humanity is huddled in this sort of last, very segregated city, uh, you know, with a very um, tight caste system. And you've got, you know, one character who's like sort of from the heart of the city, the sort of a a temple trained sorcerer. And then the other character is sort of like out on the edges and she's a, what, what they call a street sorcerer. (laughs) <laughs> that's cool um and and it's basically there are no good guys there are no bad guys you know the one side is kind of trying to maintain the sort of status quo which he thinks is saving humanity sure uh, and the other person is sort of like trapped uh you know at the very you know bottom of the uh the caste system and and fighting for something more um and then you know there are gods sort of at play inside there and everything so yeah that's that's a uh, smoke and stone that's next up uh it's a good title one of, excellent one of, title oh thank you yeah it's a good title uh and then uh the obsidian path which will be out next i think is um probably the closest i ever have i've ever written to a sword and sorcery it's um basically the uh a long dead emperor uh demonic emperor coming back to life uh and sort of figuring out who he is and you know deciding what path he wants to take and hmm. Interesting. Uh, let's, uh, we'll, we'll leave that it, that one's a, a ways off it's it's written uh i just have to figure out what i want to do with it so sure. so date wise the next one's november though yeah yeah, november 1st is a uh, smoke and stone cool cool maybe we'll have and, you back on and we can talk about it yeah yeah, you're you're a machine, dude. Your output is crazy. Well, yeah, yes and no. Like I have um uh manic periods, let's call them. Sure. Um so where uh I wrote three novels in 
I don't know, six to nine months kind of thing. Wow. (laughs) But then um, not much for like a year after that, right? Where a lot of it is editing. I mean, that's one thing. Like Mm -hmm. there are people like Mark Lawrence that can write a a novel. Like his first draft is uh, solid. Yeah, you can tell. He's just jealousy inducing. Like I don't know how he (laughs) He is. He is. He's seriously so annoying. But he's really good. Yeah, he Um, is. His first drafts are insane. Uh, My first draft is kind of like an incontinent donkey. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, so like I, you know, I can I can bang out 120,000 word novel three months. Now, let me ask you, when you're when you're doing that, uh, are you stopping at all to edit or are you just blasting through it? No, no, there is no stopping because if I stop and I start thinking, I stop writing. Okay. Uh, so I've got uh, three novels that are all like a third written. They're all sitting around 30,000 words. And each time I stopped <clears throat> and then started thinking and going like, oh, yeah, but where am I going with this? And is this really good? Mm. And, you know, yeah. maybe this sucks. And so they're never going to get finished because I, I unfortunately, you don't, you don't suffer from analysis paralysis. No, that's no, no, what no. I do, man. I do it all the time. And then I was talking to Logan and he's like, you know, I don't yeah. spend that much time on no. as much time on editing. He just blasts through it. And it's like, I can't, I just, every goddamn sentence, every paragraph has to flow or I just can't move on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have yeah. someone edit it, edit them and everything she's edited has been accepted for like publication. Um, hoping people actually like my novel because it is self-published um but uh yeah i don't think i just go if i stop and think uh, think I stop writing too much. just go think too much you know what makes us think less about things and just lets us rock Booze, out coffee metal metal oh i was not gonna go with that one <laughs> yeah so this is the the second portion of the show and the uh secret reason why we brought michael on uh, is this is the Rogues in the House metal episode, and we wanted to take some time to talk about how the genre of metal music meshes quite nicely with the genre of sword and sorcery music, and I think we're going to get all over the place with this one. Um, yeah. So here's the, ma- the the first big question, is why does fantasy, fantasy as a whole, but sword and sorcery specifically, yeah. mix so well with metal? Yeah. I, I want to put the... Not uh, me. I'll put the first footnote in on this whole thing before we even dive in. Um, I was trying to think this through a little bit and historically, maybe there's um, a a reference before that, but is Led Zeppelin the first to really like, certainly the most well-known and the most mainstream to plug in that, that fantasy uh, reference and I mean, straight up songs, a, a like actual reference from an actual book. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll yeah, we'll we go with whatever that. at this point. But I mean, I mean, they're they're, not, they're, they're Hobbit slash Lord of the Rings references and um, songs sort of dedicated to it uh, is pretty well known, and that's like the earliest yeah. that I could think of. They're not the first to put fantasy in there, like old, uh, like Rainbow Deep Purple. I think yeah. might have done a bit of that. Predates, uh, predates, yeah, oh, yeah. And Deep Black Purple have an album called Stormbringer. Yeah, I think they do. Oh, I, and I know they have a connection with Michael Moorcock. Um, yeah, I think they... I feel like you're right about that. And we actually looked up that the other week when we were doing our Elric episode uh, 
to to chime in on that. We know he worked with um, Blue Oyster Blue Cult. Blue Oyster Cult. And uh, Hawk... Mo- Hawk Wind. Hawk Wind uh, with Lemmy. Um, but Alex, the actual year, I don't remember. Like The first Sabbath album was like 69-70. Yeah. And that had the wizard on there where that harmonica breaks in. And it's about this dude who rolls into town being a wizard. Yep. I mean, that one jumps out at me. All wizards carry harmonicas. <laughs> it's what it, it is known. It is and known. That is why wizards get slain. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, rather than 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 uh, really worrying about who was the actual first, I mean, what is the? I think the biggest question here is, what is the big draw? What 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 is so magnetic about these two things that has brought so many bands together? And not just bands, but it's fan bases. Yeah, a lot of D and D kids are metal kids, and this the same the same people. Why? A, maybe a tribalism yeah. to both. There's um, like metalheads. Uh huh. You know, it's it's a brotherhood, a sisterhood, or we're all just a bunch of hoods. Um, <laughs> there's you know and and the the role-playing side the fantasy side you've got the same thing like once you're in there once you've uh once you're hooked yeah like they're your people and it and it's it's not just as simple as like you know oh now you're accepted or it's a like oh this is a cool thing to do kind of thing it's like when when you get in there um when you find those people that you can communicate with that you can relate to you know that that matters that yeah, that's something right. important especially like when you're when you're young when you're at at that age when you're, you're still trying to figure out who you are and you're still trying to figure out who your friends are and who, who's actually sort of like you know who is worth being friends with mm you learn a lot about people. Yeah. And at that stage of your life too, you, as much as you don't want to admit it, maybe not even now you are really focused on uh, who you are and what your thing is and how you project, right? Sure. What, what, what is your even style? I teach middle school and like, that's, that's their whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Being cool, looking cool, making sure you fit in with this click or that click. Like yeah, that's all their little brains focus on. Right, but, and I. But think, what is I it the thing? Oh, sorry, I, I was just gonna say, what is it is the thing that makes you individually want that? Because there's other ways you can go, right? You know, you could you could love right. pop music and you know bubblegum type stuff. Well, see, now that's an interesting question too, because I would even add another subculture to that. Like, you have people who. I, I, I can't shake the image of like the 80s from my head, okay? And I think yeah. the 80s is a bit of an elephant in the room where we have to admit that we all sort of um, brushed past that. And, and, you know, will this sort of connection continue onward? Um, but there's there's like the weightlifting culture too. Like whereas Conan was a big bodybuilder movie, but I also still see guys at the gym who have like Frazetta tattoos. Right. And it's like, but in in a way, they're sort of outcast too. They're not necessarily like, oh, I'm the big guy with muscles, so I get all the girls and do what I want. They're sort of, and you'll also see like metalheads who are all on the rugby team, and then they have that other offshoot tribe. But it's like, I don't know, what is that? Have I have that I that that beginning kernel of when it happens is going to be unique to everyone. And I think, like, yeah. like to Mike's point, like 
that's where the the tribal spark kind of happens. Uh, mm. I mean, I know, I know for me, you go back to uh, Boy Scouts when I was, oh, I don't know, like fifth or sixth grade, and you're introduced to like these older kids who are like in high school. This is my first exposure personally in like the high 80s, right? Where they're like, this is D&D. Yeah, this is D&D. This is Iron Maiden. This is this this is fantasy. And I think I, I think in that period of maybe like a year, I was introduced to Dragonlance books, uh, role playing <laughs> games and Iron Maiden. And it just it was so formative. I mean, it just it, yeah. it's who I am from that on. I think a lot of it might be like where you grew up too, because I, I guess you live in or around Boston. That's I assume, true. I'm assuming you were in an urban area. Meanwhile, I grew up in a town of less than 2,000 people in the middle of Nebraska. So finding your tribe was harder. Yeah, much harder. Like I was nerdy. I don't. I can't say that I even liked fantasy um, as a younger kid. I did not like. My real first real introduction would have been Harry Potter, and I did not like Harry Potter. Oof. Um, Oof. I remember distinctly as an 18-year-old boy, um, I guess man at that point, seeing <laughs> the intro, like the beginning part of Conan the Barbarian with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger um, on like HBO or something when my dad had uh, like a free month subscription or whatever, and I was like this is fantasy. Where are the elves? And I turned the channel. <laughs> oh, oh, Yeah. Interestingly, I thought yeah. you might've actually answered my question where I was wondering about how does the bodybuilder subculture factor in, or like the, the jock kids who also like fantasy. And the answer is probably 1982 Conan the barbarian. Yeah. I, I don't know any jock kids that like fantasy other than you. I'm not a jock. No, but you're a weightlifter. Like you're a bodybuilder type dude. Uh, he, ex- like, he exercises. I mean, I, exercise. I probably identify more with Alex. Um, I, I think we That's had probably guy. similar. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. exercise. Yeah, no, I don't even know what that word is. Uh, uh, so the other, another big like vein in this whole thing, uh, and again, uh, that I think I, I like that that tribal idea. Um, yeah, is, is the art right? I mean, this is something that visually. For whatever reason, these two things have been associated, sword and sorcery or fantasy and metal. And then you see that art, and I think that also yeah. sparks things. So here's a, another question that I want to pose um, to Michael and to everyone. Uh, what's like your earliest album cover art that resonates with you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a peace of mind. It was the first oh, time I kind of yeah. really yeah. noticed album art. I'm yeah, gonna Google yeah. that real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that might have been the insane asylum, Eddie. My yeah. first album was Backstreet Boys Millennium because I was <laughs> okay. twelve and okay. I didn't know what okay. music was. Back it up. We gotta cut that out. We just went to peace of mind. <laughs> nope. That's in there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not oh, like Peace of Mind was the, the first album on the cover. Yeah, this is the band with the zombie <laughs> on the cover, Logan. <laughs> so Pete, I, I got I wanna get back to that. So uh, uh, you said "Peace of Mind" was not. It was the first album cover that resonates that you that sticks out in your mind. But what was your first? Uh, what was your first album? Oh, seriously? Okay. Or, or the one. The one. Here's, here's the thing. I'm like insanely old and kind of. <laughs> I don't think you know, you're that old. How old are alco- you? Alcoholic. Um, he doesn't want to answer that. No, I'm totally, totally. I'm dodging. Uh, okay, so let's see. Early <laughs> albums that Dodged. I remember. There was. 
crap. I can't. Uh, While you stew on it, I will. Uh, I'll go. It was uh, seventh wrong. seventh son of a seventh son for me was the first yeah. cassette tape that I bought, and I bought it again you after so the introduction young. to all these You're things. So young. <laughs> now, Alex is Alex is like he's almost forty, aren't you? Are I'm you 40 I'm forty one. Yeah, yeah, I'm thirty seven. Uh, children, don't worry. you don't have to tell. Really? Us. Wow. Okay. Is that yeah. just out of curiosity? Is that that album title a uh, reference to that? Uh, what is it? It's Alvin the Maker by the same guy who wrote Ender's Game. Orson Scott Card. Yeah, Orson Scott Card. It's a fantasy it, series, it and like it plays with the seventh son of a seventh son. There's a really terrible movie made about it. It's possible. Like Maiden has used a lot of literary references in their songs, which is okay. also I'm which, gonna and I'm gonna just get to this point because uh, yes, I'll just get it out there. Iron Maiden is responsible for my education and my interest in learning. And, oh yeah, and I, I'm just I just want to say it. I would like publicly on the radio or the podcast so that everyone knows, and maybe someday some member of Iron Maiden will listen to this and they'll be like, yeah, uh, but you know, things like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. You know, you hear the song and then yeah. it sparks that interest of let me go learn what this is. And like all various like they sing, Logan, yeah. you would actually enjoy their content, um, more historical uh, battles and all sorts of I, things that you would just totally dig. Right. Alexander the Great, they're actually uh, listing off specific years yeah. things happened. Yeah. 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 Like, Interesting. Detail. Ask thyself for another kingdom. For yeah. the one I which which I leave you is too small for thee, right? I think that's what they say in the song. Yeah, I don't I don't actually know anyone who's actually given Iron Maiden an honest an honest try and hasn't at least appreciated it. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Makes I mean, sense. Yeah. Um, you don't have to sell me on that. Yeah, no, I hear you. We all got way excited for Iron Maiden. <laughs> but uh Albemarth, just just to go back for a second, because it is interesting that your average uh, sword and sorcery paperback and your average 80s metal album are going to have similar covers in regards to, you know, the, oh, yeah. the sales pitch, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh, Christ. One of the bands that leaps out at me, and uh, we may as well just get this out of the way now, is Manowar. Oh, I thought you were going to say Molly Hatchet with the Frazetta covers. No, that's, that's very on the nose. Um, yeah, that's fair, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I they, do know some Molly Hatchet songs because that '80s like hair glam kind of stuff is what my dad listened to when I was growing up. Yeah, well, so I, mean, I am familiar with that. I don't think he had a Molly Hatchet album, but I think they were on like um, this compilation called "Going South" that he got off the uh, the TV order thing. <laughs> so. You still owe money to Columbia House? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna. I don't know if he's gonna get that reference. He's too young. <laughs> that was really. That was really funny. That got me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, and, and I mean, Manowar is sort of like dollar store Frank Frazetta with Ken Kelly, right? Someone's gonna yell at me for that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google that right now. I appreciate Ken Kelly, but uh, you know he's no Frank Frazetta, although he was his understudy because I think he was like his son-in-law or something. Um. Oh so, yeah, I see it. I see it. The thing yeah. too is is you know in, in at that point in time, right? A lot of people would buy things, including myself, off of 
art off the art because that's what you saw totally. you, you couldn't you couldn't judge an album really in yeah. a lot of ways like you just kind of knew the band or like you knew it was going to be pretty cool uh but it yeah. was a lot of the times you were like oh my god look at the art on that I, I i gotta listen to it right that used to matter in a big way right i mean it still matters now for for books but i think less so for music because you're not buying albums right exactly yeah that's true i got um, peace of mind I, I bought that entirely because of the art yeah mm-hmm. right I, I i didn't have a clue what it was and we're talking vinyl, of course, because mm-hmm. uh, it was the early 80s. That's what my floor uh, is, vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> so I come home and I put it on my record player, which is sort of like a prehistoric MP3 player for UK. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as... there, and I'm like, what the... It was too heavy yeah man. i took it off i took it off the record player i was like what the what is that it was literally <laughs> too heavy to listen to <laughs> and that riff the drums that some mm. guy screaming and it was like i couldn't listen it was too heavy i didn't understand what was going on oh man yeah, i took it off and I, I put it away and then like a week later i was kind of like yeah i kind of want to listen to that again there you go. I like make it through the first couple of songs. I was like, no, this is too heavy. That's yeah. insane. I love where Eagles Dare. That's a that is a killer opening album track. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we all love Iron Maiden. There's no doubt. And I mean, just for the sake of uh, doing our due diligence here, Maiden factors into this. They're they're not a sword and sorcery band. I wouldn't even say they're a fantasy band, but they're literary. They are historic. They're just Those the best things. band. Yeah, and they're they're just they are the best band. They're the best band. I'm not gonna argue that. I'll never argue that. I could probably, you know, think of other bands, but, but I will. But not, why would I will you? Not I will not so, um, I a lot of time my students ask me what kind of music I like, and in general, I'm not really a music fan. I prefer silence and talk radio. Who is this? Uh, guy? Some of my favorite stuff is ambient because it's just background noise. Um, that being said. I am a vocal not fan of Red Hot Chili Peppers, and one time I saw, or I was at a party where a guy was like, drunkenly, Red Hot Chili Peppers are the greatest band of all time. Oh, that's I instantly cool. knew that was wrong. I that instantly is... knew that was wrong. I, I hate that band. I do, too. <laughs> I can't stand them. Yeah. yeah you know, annoying. I even used to like, you know, I like the odd song, but. Yeah, yeah, when, for sure. Their chorus is like, they, their modern stuff is just, it's. Uh, it it boils down my soul in not a good way. It doesn't expose anything interesting. It just hurts me. Not coincidentally, the same guy that said that is the same one that ruined D&D for me by playing a monk. <laughs> <laughs> Direct that's correlation. A, that's an ongoing joke, Fletcher. We, uh, For whatever reason, Hogan doesn't like monks in his fantasy. So, And we're talking no like monks. the ones who like... Oh, karate kick and stuff like that yeah kung fu <laughs> monks it's an aesthetic it's an aesthetic uh <laughs> he deals with there i think so all right all right so um i mean i think i think we sort of covered what the real attraction is uh in terms of well i think we've covered what the link is between those two things fairly well um and we looked at album art uh when did it do start? Do we have a question about like? So, I do have a little metal knowledge. Oh, um, here we go. I was Look really up. into this one band, and I, 
I'm gonna say it wrong, and I'm gonna say uh, it like it's puke, but it's Bal Sagath or Sagith or whatever, which is the title of a Howard story that I haven't read. Are they um, like a, are they death metal? They are something. Doom metal? Yeah, what really attracted me though was similar to what attracted me to Howard and his connection to Lovecraft, mm-hmm. and that their six albums were this long history of the Earth from like when the Elder Things arrived to the 1920s when this Indiana Jones character narrates almost every song and it's, yeah, he's I, like digging into like Lovecraftian stuff but in the middle is like a, a faux Hyborian age and stuff like that because metal plays a lot uh, with history oh, as, yeah. as far as I yeah. understand it and I find that interesting the good stuff, the good stuff yeah so uh, Fletcher do you know that band I I've heard the name before, but I, I, I don't know any of the music. I, yeah. Yeah, I cannot even remotely speak knowledgeably. It sounds very cool, though. The yeah, uh, the lead singer, his name is Byron Roberts, I think. I'm Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they're from England. But he actually <laughs> has... name like Byron? Yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I, he's written short stories. He's got a character that recurs in like the Hyborian age, quote-unquote, named Kalen Tor. And he's written short stories and novels that he, like either appear in collections or self-published, both. Um, that he's basically Conan, okay, kind of thing. So he's a big fan, obviously. So that's actually a, that's actually a good segue then, um, where I want to talk about just our favorite bands in this regard. So each of us can kind of just spout off it. the one, yeah, metal bands that you think. Uh, link well to fantasy dark fantasy sword and sorcery who wants to go first i think our guest should go first oh jesus okay <laughs> um all right well i mean for me the big one was was iron maiden mm-hmm. um i mean and they're not they're not the band with like the strongest links to fantasy i mean that's right. probably more um you know like i mean deep purple got into that hawkwind uh, blind guardian Blind, oh, I mean, Blind Garden is basically a the a, sword. It's a role playing nerds. I have a, a fun hey, story about Blind Guardian. I know Blind Guardian. Yeah, they 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 sing explicitly about. Uh, they they actually do Morcock stuff. Yeah, there's this video game. It's like a budget RPG that's like a combination of like Elder Scrolls and Diablo. And my friend and I we picked this up, and it's just it's a mediocre game, but it's really funny. But there's a quest. Where you go to each of the members of Blind Guardian in this like generic fantasy world and find their instruments, and then your reward is a Blind Guardian music video where all the enemies of the video game are the crowd in the concert. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's, it, it was probably one of the most memorable quests I've ever had in a video game. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Fletcher, you would say uh, your big one is probably just Iron Maiden, and I, I mean, I would agree in terms of like even just spirit and vibe. The spirit, like, for sure, the spirit. They, yeah. ha- they have a song called "Flash of the Blade." Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Duelist, uh, you know, like, yeah, many others. Metallica, they went there early on for mm-hmm. a while. Yeah, you know. Uh, but I mean, for me, it, it's got to be Iron Maiden. Was sort of a is that. Yeah, like, for more modern things, um, the sword. I think yeah. I, I've heard people mention that, and, I, and I've, from what I've heard, I, I would agree. Um, yeah, the sword are one of mine for sure. Uh, not in terms of like my favorite, but the one that links incredibly, really closely. links. 
Yeah. They've got songs called The Frost Giant's Daughter, Black River. They've got uh, Take the Black, which is obviously a Martin uh, Song of Ice and Fire reference. Yeah. I love also, uh, The Three Witches, Trace Brujas. Yeah. So, Great song, man, too. That album, um, shoot, what is that album called? Uh, Warp Riders is a sword and planet themed album. And if you listen to it start to finish, it is probably, I would say, in my opinion, the album that most closely emulates this sort of fiction. I don't just mean sword and sorcery, but I mean pulp, fantasy, sword and planet, that sort of vibe. It really kind of tells a story from beginning to end, and it is 100% their best album. I've had people argue this with me, and I told them they had to go back and listen yeah. to that album again. I 100% adore the idea of an album telling some kind of story. Absolutely. Um, that's that's so coming. cool to me. But the the <laughs> I just I can't get into the 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 heaviness and stuff like that. Like it's, I can't dude, get into it's not that. even heavy. You are straight up weak if this album crushes you. It won't. I'll, I'll give it, it a won't. try. Yeah, the sword is I, I honestly more of it's a more hard rock. rock. Roll, yeah, man, it's more know. of a hard rock feel. Um, it's grooving. Okay. You know, they they would remind me uh, more of like a seventies rock band. Like I can do ACDC. Yeah. I like Kiss. Oh my god! Um, like like. It, you, I, I feel like you think that most metal sounds like Mashuga crushing your bones. <laughs> Probably. It's just not, man. It's just not. Mashuga, <laughs> Mashuga <laughs> Eye. It's like yeah. a 40 minute song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and the stuff. The that, stuff that's a song that beats to. you into submission. Fletcher actually, listens to that dirty, crazy, bone crushing metal to compose his fiction, but it's not all that. Era. Actually, Obscura's stuff is a, a lot of good fantasy elements, too. And what are Obscura, oh, obscure, yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah. that, um, another. One, so I, I'm, I'm probably the, the biggest culprit right now because I said I didn't want to just list bands, but I'm going to do it. Uh, Amon Amarth. Oh yeah, right. We didn't brought them up. I know, I know you like them. Yeah, you uh, brought them up before. Yeah, I, I saw, I saw Amon Amarth in concert, and they, this was actually a, a festival, and they were not the headliners, but they still brought a Viking ship <laughs> as like their main centerpiece. Yeah. And I mean, within 30 seconds, this mute, this metal is just crushing you. And the singer comes out. He has a drinking horn strapped to his hip. And he's <laughs> drinking out of that. He's flying. Fire is shooting. Like, you know. Yep. You can't. Okay. So, and that's all right. So, that you, you, you bring up a very good point that we should dive into. Like, stage presence also is a thing and like yeah. and production um when you see these bands like so alice Co like obviously iron Maiden. i'm going to go with that but i was going to say alice cooper and i know you've seen alice like cooper alice too Fire. right not maybe not yeah, necessarily no, metal but like definitely conveys a uh a heavy fantasy feel um and i'd say at times even sword and sorcery kind of thing i mean he does walk around with like a boa constrictor wrapped around him yeah he could be a he could be a sword and sorcery villain or something yes. else or he could he could pop into some multiverse tale and actually just play Alice Cooper. It'd be yeah. sweet. Yeah. yeah. I actually did a little research here, and um, I know our outline told me that I was not going to talk about country, and I'm not going to talk about country. <laughs> but my favorite genre, if I had to pick a genre, is bluegrass. And I do have um, – Alex did help with this a little bit, at least in the inspiration-wise. Um, a crossover between metal and bluegrass does exist – Although it is extremely niche, much like sword and sorcery, 
Um, I think the most obvious crossover is this group called the Native Howl, um, which probably has all your trappings of what you would expect in a metal band, but they use fiddles and and stuff like that. Um, There's also a Finnish metal slash bluegrass cover band called Steven Seagulls, (laughs) and they're kind of fun. Uh, I've heard them. Steven and the Seagulls or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do like uh, they do covers of right. other songs in bluegrass. I right? would check out that yeah. first one. That first one sounded pretty. Yeah, the Native Howl is cool. Um, I like them. They are probably a little heavier. Like I think my favorite bluegrass band is called the Whiskey Shivers, um, and they're fast-paced bluegrass. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to call them more close to metal, but I think they call it like speed bluegrass kind of stuff, <laughs> um, which is funny. Uh, <laughs> And then on the fantasy link, this is straight bluegrass, but one of my favorite authors other than Howard is uh, Manly Wade Wellman, who wrote the Silver John stories, which revolve around a guy with a silver string guitar that fights demonic forces in post-Korean conflict Appalachia. <laughs> you haven't read them. They're so good. They're so Gosh, good. That They're is so specific. Like answer, but, yeah. Um, but there is a man named John Bethencourt, um, who made one album called Who Fears the Devil, and they are recordings of the songs that Silver John sings in the in the stories. John Bethencourt. Yeah. Um, you can look right. him up. Um, that name's very maybe funny. he's done more. Um, as far as I know, this is the only thing he's done, but I, this is the only album I have from him. So, But Who Fears the Devil is um, not metal or a combination of metal and bluegrass, but it is fantasy bluegrass cool that's my contribution nice okay fair so mike being a musician yourself uh what other things do you like and the reason i ask this is because some of the like on our facebook page uh listeners like threw out a ton of stuff um that Mm -hmm. they thought was metal sword and sorcery related or at least just awesome to begin with and the Mm -hmm. one from uh dan marek um kind of caught my eye he brought up um he, he brought up some classical pieces like Ride of the Valkyries, Hall of the Mountain King, yeah. and O Fortuna, which I think, you know, while not, you know, if we're going to expand this a little bit, like you can go beyond metal and still have something that sort of fits that uh, that theme. So I was wondering if you had anything else in your mind that, that maybe would fit that theme too. Uh, yeah, which is actually uh, tied to metal. All right, so you're familiar with Flesh God Apocalypse, right? Uh, uh, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> metal band uh, so uh, they're I'm not sure if it's their most recent album they did an album called King uh, and the orchestration that went along with it is insane it is so good uh, they actually uh, on the um, the limited edition release they the second album is just the orchestration so uh, all the metal band is peeled out. It is just the orchestra. Mm. Uh, Very cool. Know, and it is amazing. So I think I've if I'm not it. writing to brain crushing death metal, I'm writing to uh, f- the orchestration to the Flesh God Apocalypse's uh, King album uh, oh. because it is it's that good. And it, it doesn't have there's no lyrics. It's yeah. just the orchestra. Um, and the feel is amazing, but it's classical music, right? Yeah, um, that might actually 
it worked for me because I, I can't have the lyrics. I, my brain. Right. I'm the the lyrics are what bug me because yeah. I can't, can't have focus. lyrics. That's yeah. why it's that's why the death metal it works for me because it's. <laughs> I'm like I, I have no idea what the dude's yeah. saying. I don't know. That's just another instrument. Yeah. Do you like uh, Do you like Amana Marth? We kind of glossed oh, yeah. over you on that. Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to say real quick for me, um, just to talk about my taste for a minute in terms of metal. Um, I mean, I love all the classics. Priest and Sabbath and Maiden are they're the, they're the triumvirate in in my opinion. But lately, I have been. Um, I have been really into the sort of folk, uh, I want to call it a, a folk traditional power metal sort of uh, fusions. And like that, like that Mongolian band? I really like the, I think they're actually called the Who. The Who, as in H-U. H-U. Yeah. Yep. Um, not to be yeah. confused with the other Who, uh, which I really like as well. But yeah, they. I mean, I'm really digging the idea of global metal um like another band i really love is called teresa's from finland and they do this sort of powery folky heroic my friend of mine called it heroic metal and that's what it is a monomarth has that same vibe where it's like you know it just has that uh that rising sort of feel that that call to action right and uh i mean that's that's great yes gym music it's great life music you just the, you know ca- the, ca- the cadence uh, that they play, like it just like, yeah. has that that pep to it. Another band that it, very similar, and actually, I found Amonamarth because of this other band, and you guys will probably love them and laugh at the same time. Death Clock. Oh my oh, yeah. god! From Metalocalypse, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they Death you know. Copter. Are you, uh, Mike? Are you familiar with this as well? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. I mean, I've never. And I've never sort of really watched it. I've heard a couple of the songs, but I mean, I know who it is. Yeah, you know? right. So uh, it's I, I think the um, the actor, the actor and the voice guys, right, and the creator is Brendan Small. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, the music is amazing. So I actually looked up, you know, when I found him on Amarth, I was like, what other bands are like Death Clock? Yeah. Uh, and the show, it's funny, but the music and they just they shred. They're so, they're so good. They do. I actually saw them at Heavy Montreal. They oh, were, that would have been uh, cool. That's funny. Yeah, which I mean, you're not actually seeing the cartoons, obviously. That's right. not possible, but they had like all the video overlays, and one of their videos is direct, uh, directly referencing like a Conan the Barbarian character. Yes, Thunder Horse. Yeah. Yeah. Thunder yeah. Horse. yeah. I know that one. That was also yeah. like uh, one of the songs on Guitar Hero too. Yep. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a hard, a super hard, or something like that. Yeah, and I mean metal like. Yeah, that's the other thing that's interesting about this too is that this situation with bridging fantasy and metal has not died. It isn't actually just something from the eighties. There's bands now. There is a band who does dwarf metal uh, called Windrose. Yes. There's a band that does pirate metal, which is Alestorm. You know, oh, yeah. and and as much as this sounds Ailstorm. silly on paper and even kind of looks a bit silly, when you hear it, it's sort of undeniable. Like it really works. It is silly. Some of them are silly. Like, I mean, oh, it's silly. I'm sorry. Like, I, you could be I a good band, but if you're doing pirate metal, like, I don't know. What's yeah, yeah. what's oh, next? Definitely silly, I want like I, mean, I want pharaoh metal, <laughs> ancient uh, Egyptian metal. That's probably is, there. It exists. I'm this sure. This is a little Iron Maiden trivia, just that oh, I, I, I know right now. Speaking uh, of pharaohs, they have. He's saying it as if we don't know this. 
already. I, you might not. I don't know. Uh, want to quiz us? You want to quiz us? Turn it into no, a question. No, I do not. But they All do right. have an album called Power Slave, right? They do. Yes. There is favorite. a late 90s first-person shooter called Power Slave where you are a commando going through ancient Egypt trying to stop the rise of the gods. It's actually a pretty legit FPS game on PC that uses the build engine like the Duke Nukem games. Interesting. Um, but it is not as good on the PS1, which it also came out on. So if you're into hmm. like um, those classic first-person shooters, Power Slave is a good one. And it's got a lot of mixture of like like the Arnold Schwarzenegger M80 kind of shooting with like a magic spell book that shoots spells. Like, well. I imagine it's named after the Iron Maiden album, now that oh. I know that. Sounds like Hexen. Yeah, like yeah. Like a cross between Duke Nukem and Hexen. Yeah, that's exactly that's gonna That, that whole little uh, bit of knowledge right there is going to save you on a trivia night one day. It might. Yeah. We got first two weeks in a row. That's 50 bucks right there. Hey, congratulations, buddy. Why don't you buy Thanks. yourself a mic? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in, in cash for the bar. Like, I don't get to yeah. take it for anything else. That reminds me of one other thing I wanted to bring up, too, and so I don't forget it. Uh, old sort of video games, and a lot of them were fantasy, sword, and sorcery. The soundtracks they had, what were they? They're metal. Well, they're, Doom they're metal. is definitely a metal. Oh, like, Doom, Doom that surprises metal, yeah. me because, like, when I think of metal, I would think of Doom, but yeah. that's I a see lot of less like less of this sci-fi yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, like in golden a theme, axe, you know. Golden yeah, axe was that's all fair. Like that. Altered you were a big like golden axe. Yeah, I never Doom played metal. that. Mike, do you? That was before I was born. Mike, Mike, do you, do you are you a uh, a Strat guy or are you a Les Paul guy? What's your what's your choice? Uh, yeah, Les Paul. I'm all Gibson. Uh, Gibson I, I like Strats. I like the way they play the neck. It's got a real liquid feel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they lack balls, uh, <laughs> which is and... interesting because I I was hoping you would go this way because you know that um, the majority of Iron Maiden are Strat yep. players, right? Oh yeah, yep. yeah. Um, uh, for me to get the the chunky ass tone that I want, uh, it, it's got to be a Les Paul. And actually, you guys should listen to some of. Uh, I've heard a few samples of Fletcher's work, and he he was very much like, "Oh, this is trash I just put out," but like I was grooving on it hard. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was good. Yeah. And I do believe, Mister Fletcher, you offered us a, a a piece of music. Is that true? Would you would you give us something? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can. I'll shoot you uh, via like messenger or whatever. I'll shoot you a couple of tracks, and if, if if you guys like one of them, you're welcome to to use it. What's, oh, that'd be rad. What's blowing my mind right now is that my best bud Bill Fletcher, the one that I mentioned earlier, huh. uh, is a very disgusting guitar player in his own right. So you guys need to form a band called Fletcher and Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> right, and he—he's a Strat guy. You're, you're a Gibson guy. I mean, this is this is. I listen. I'll manage you. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what an offer! Yes, right. Yeah. right? I have no experience, but I'm sure I'm destined for this. This Mr. has become Radio about me, voice of course. Of Dollar Store Chromecast is offering to uh, manage a band. Yeah. Fletcher and Fletcher. Yeah, I mean, but but real talk, we could use a we could use a little something, perhaps for the intro of. The bazaar of the bazaar, where we normally oh, yeah. talk about our, yeah. our happy. Yeah, I've, I've done uh, done intro music for a couple of podcasts, like uh, 
the Grim Tidings podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. While they were going, they used some of my stuff for a bunch of years. Um, yeah, that was a great podcast. And uh, there's like two other podcasts using stuff, and I am gapping out on the names right now because, you know, wine. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know exactly. I'm right what there with like. you. I know exactly what that's like. Well, uh, are there are there final uh, pieces anyone? As you know, we want to be cognizant of time here. I feel like yep. Fletcher probably has to bounce. So uh, is there anything else you guys would want to add to this? I mean, there's a thousand bands we could list, and I don't want anyone to be upset that we didn't mention theirs. Really, I think we just wanted to talk about the um, the spirit of metal and the spirit of fantasy and the fact that those two things go together, and I feel like we've kind of done that. Absolutely. Yeah. But, if yeah. they, but if we haven't listed your band, the best place to do that is either on the Facebook group or as always, you can leave us a review and tell us what band that we missed. Uh, those those um, Apple reviews are gold. And Speaking of which, I, this is not related to our podcast, but Jason Waltz of Rogue's Blade Entertainment has been very kind to us, um, offering a couple copies of his book, uh, Crosses of Crossbones, um, for some of our winners. If you happen to pick that up, or maybe you want it and are thinking about reading it sometime soon, please leave him some reviews. Um, reviews help us um, creators immensely. So if you can yeah, go to Amazon right. and, and leave him a review, I know he's been kind of reaching out for it. Uh, reviews are hard because I'm sure we have, uh, what, like three listeners? We have one review? No, we have, we have, there's probably a couple hundred of you, and we don't get reviews very often, which is fine. I totally understand not taking the time to do that, because um, I don't personally do that for every book or podcast or whatever I listen to, um, but if you are trying to help us out um, or wanting to help us out, please do leave a review for Jason and Rogue Blades or us or whatever. And for Mr. Michael media. Fletcher, who yeah, has joined yeah, us Mr. today. Michael Fletcher. Fletcher probably knows the importance of, uh, I know he knows the importance and the need of reviews. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) 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 That was was good. That was the the best response. Every every writer that we've had on here so far, that just summed it up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, you know you're supposed to be like, oh, hey, review my book, you know. It's like, you know what? That's why we're here. Just just read my damn books. Yeah. (laughs) More importantly, importantly, buy my damn books. Yeah, actually, you know what? I don't care if you read them or not. Just (laughs) Just just buy it. I definitely have. I have purchased one of your books that I've not yet read, so you've already got me there. Uh, oh, dude, no. See, I'm gonna read no, it now. Now I'm upset. <laughs> hey, listen, you're still on my to be read pile. Uh, what are you, you? What are you reading? Dirk Ashton first? Oh. No, 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 no. I haven't read Dirk Ashton. I, All right, I, well, that's okay then. I appreciate his. Uh, I, I wrote yeah. his books too. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> Oddly enough, that 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 guy ha- actually on this podcast uh, uh, on the Scott Oden episode. So, yeah. I'm on a Facebook page with Dirk Ashton. Like yeah. We've had brief conversations. I'm going to tell him that he doesn't write his books and it's you. He doesn't. He is a fake. <laughs> he is a fraud. I wrote everything he's ever published. I mean, that's why it's good because yeah. I wrote it. Well, and now we, can, now we can tag him in this video. So that's Yeah, let's do it. He's going to love it. Where, yeah. where can um, the interwebs find you, Mike? Uh, mostly at home. 
That's good. How can they get yeah, in contact uh, with no. you? Yeah. <laughs> just, just stop by my house. That's cool. Um, so I guess uh, I have a web page, which I should probably, you know, like maintain someday. Uh, MichaelRFletcher.com. I know, kind of random, but there you go. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Michael R. Fletcher. Also, you know, <laughs> weird. But, uh, and then I think on Twitter, I'm like at MR Fletcher which uh, stands for something. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's me. I'm on social media. I am not friendly in person. Uh, but if you hit me up on social media, I'm actually uh, pretty easy going and we'll uh, totally chat with you unless, you know, I don't want to. Well, like you right. said, you have people doing that for you, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wish. That's like the dream. Yeah, of course. <laughs> to have yeah. someone, like, do my social media stuff so I can, like, not. Right. Well, you know, when right. Fletcher and Fletcher takes off, yeah. I, I think you'll be all set. Seriously, we're going to be huge. Yeah. I mean, except for his weak-ass strat tone. <laughs> it sounds like one of Better Call Saul's, like, rival law firms. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Fletcher and Fletcher. That's a little New Mexico joke. Yeah, one eight 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 Fletcher and Fletcher. It's too many numbers, but no one calls anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, yeah. <laughs> I think I think that is probably an episode. So again, uh, check out uh, Mike's works, check out his books, buy his books because that seems to be the thing that he wants the most out of everything. I need my money. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> and may your review, swords review oh. review his books. You cut me off on the end. I'm, there. Cu- I'm cutting you off on the end too. And because Logan earlier was like he was like first friends like flappers. But he was referencing the Rogue's Blade, Rogue Blades Entertainment book, Crossbones and Yeah, I did fumble that. It's the wine that you made me drink, you peer pressuring. That was like half a bottle. Yeah. Well, it was like a fourth of a bottle, and I'm a lightweight to the max. And Alex. Yes. Oh, may your swords always remain sharp. Getting called by a three-year-old is gonna have to get cut out. She's outside, dude. <laughs> yeah, she's coming right back in. Go upstairs, or Spider-Man's not coming to find you. <laughs> he thinks Listen. that I'm gonna cut this out. That's the funny part. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It worked. Okay. Worst outro ever. Nah. <laughs> it was fun. It had character. <laughs>